I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi there, my name is Jenny Rooney, Chief Experience Officer and host of Adweek's newest podcast, Marketing Vanguard. We're so excited to bring you the next evolution of CMO Moves by bringing you insightful content from our marketing community. Together, we'll dive into discussions with CMOs and other C-suite executives who are tasked daily with making decisions that in incremental or monumental ways move the needle for their brands, their companies, and the customers they serve. In each episode, we'll focus on one key idea or decision, why they made it, what it caused, whether it worked, the ripples it set forth, and how it has defined the person as a business leader. We also address missteps, poor choices, and gambles, as mistakes, of course, often yield the greatest knowledge. In addition, we'll ask each guest to share the names of people they rely on daily, as well as a recommendation for whom we should interview next. Hi, everyone. It's Jenny Rooney at Adweek, and I'm here with the Marketing Vanguard podcast. I am so excited to welcome my next guest, Melissa Waters. Melissa, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Jenny, it's such a delight to be here, and thank you for having me, and it's so nice to see you and and be here with you today. You and I um, have been in each other's orbit for quite some time, and I'm really glad we're getting some time together. I agree. I agree, and I love that I, because I love how, for as close-knit as this industry is, I love always having the chance to meet somebody new and really connect with them personally, and so that's what this represents, I think, for both of us. Yeah, we've... Absolutely. Being in each other's orbit is, is the right way to describe it, so... Um, so let's just kick it off. Um, you're the CMO of Upwork, and you've been there now how long? About 16, 17 months. Okay. Yep. So new to the role, relatively mm-hmm. new, mm-hmm. Um, although in CMO terms, some would argue that's <laughs> you're, an old, you're, you're, you're a senior by now in that role. That's but, right. um But I mean, gosh, um, Upwork, I'm sure, has had just what a time to be at a company like Upwork. What a time. What a time. That is Such- for sure. Talk a little bit about that. What's been happening over the last, oh, I don't know, three years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Upwork has gone through so many undulations in this very dynamic market. And it started well before I was here, obviously, with the riot, with COVID, uh, sending a shockwave across the world yeah. and everyone um, wake, you know, awakening to this next frontier of the way business can be run and being much more open to the secular trends around remote work. Um, we've been doing this for 23 years. We're a company that has been, you know, working this way for a very long time. And in fact, our internal team, our, our Upwork team is a quarter full-time folks and three quarters hybrid workforce. Um, 
all manner of different types of configurations in that. And so we've seen it as like, welcome to the party, everybody. It, you know, if you're, if you're new to working this way, you know, we're happy to shepherd you in through this new era. I think about it a little bit like um, all the companies that have gone through digital transformation over the last couple of decades, they're now going through team transformation and it's a little bit analogous in my mind. So we've been riding that wave of, you know, the shockwave to everybody kind of waking up to this new way of working that we've been championing for a long time to us having this incredible surge in folks uh, wanting to work through Upwork, um, whether they're talent or we call them work innovators or career innovators. So on the work front, they're people who are champions of change inside their orgs. And on the career front, they're people who are saying, it's time. That thing I've been wanting to do for a long time where I go out on my own or I um, you know, try something new. Um, we see so many people flocking to Upwork to do that. So we've seen this incredible change. And then we've had things that you know, the, the kind of tumultuousness keeps happening and coming like the Ukraine war happened, broke out six weeks after I started last year. Oh and, uh, our original code of our product was written by Ukrainians and Russians. So oh who are still members of our team. Wow. So it was a very personal situation for our company as well. So we've just had quite a number of, um, you know, dynamics happening in our business. So talk just specifically for people who don't know, uh, what Upwork does, how it works. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So we are the world's largest and um, the, the most significant talent marketplace out there. So we operate in 180 countries and we match talent who raise their hand and say, I offer these skills and this expertise on the platform with companies who are trying to search for that talent in the world. So, so you're B2B and B2C? We are, yeah, we run a self-serve marketplace. So we, yeah. you know, huge portion of our business is folks coming directly to Upwork.com and saying, I'm trying to find engineering talent or copywriting talent or um, uh, customer support talent. We serve tens of thousands of categories, um, everything from, you know, the most technical all the way to, uh, you know, personal projects. And we have folks who are talent on our platform coming in and saying, um, you know, I'm bidding on these jobs and I'm, I'm offering up my expertise to be able to fulfill whatever a company needs. So it's pretty amazing to hear the stories of the impact that we have on people's lives. And that is our mission is economic opportunity. Um, so it's pretty impressive to, to hear the stories of the impact we have on people who are working in this way. Well, so there's such a human element to that. And I love that because you're not looking at the, just the, you know, the mechanics of the platform, you're thinking about like literally the human lives that are being impacted. How are you pulling that through in your marketing messaging and positioning and yeah. narrative? Yeah, no, it's, um, it is absolutely right. You know, the stories from our freelancers are so awe-inspiring and a huge part of the way that we work is through a community-based, um, you know, kind of community focus. So our product organization runs a pretty significantly sized community um, group that, gets folks together across the world and these different, you know, um, community groups to support one another. So whether it is regionally based or, or specialization based to try to help people upskill or learn new skills, um, it's pretty remarkable, the human to human element of bringing people together and having them find a tribe and a community, even though they are remote first workers. Um, we, we focus our outbound marketing messaging on our client side audience. So yep. much more of a B2B enterprise, uh, focus. And the reason for that, Jenny, is a little bit of what we talked about a few minutes ago, because talent, talent more than ever 
And we're seeing this a big generational shift. Um, you know, Gen Z is the, the group and, and the younger kind of cohorts are the group that are saying, I'm going to work my way. So talent shift is fast. That has happened rapidly. Mm-hmm. The corporate side where, you know, folks who are in leadership positions who may be my age or older, you know, <laughs> are a little more reticent to change. Mm-hmm. And some of our biggest um, innovators inside of companies are younger, younger folks who are saying, but there's new ways to do things. I yeah. can actually flex my team or flex my project with a, you know, a talent group at Upwork versus having to bring in FTEs. And so we're still evangelizing the work marketplace for businesses. That's yep. our core audience where we really have to yep. do the evangelism because the talent side, people have embraced it 100%. wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That makes, that makes tremendous sense. Um, talk, now let's talk a little bit about you, you know, talk a little bit about the previous experiences and, and maybe even your educational background that you're bringing to bear in this role. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my previous experience, I've been in the um, you know tech marketing sector and Silicon Valley for a while. I got my start, though, um, out of college, focused on uh, PR and journalism, and I was working in nonprofits. So I spent a fair bit of, you know, a few years right out of college working in violence prevention work, um, where I, you know, I think it's always easier to see the trends of your career from the rear view mirror than it is yeah. to see them in the foreground. And when I look back on it, there's a lot of parallels to nonprofit work and, and tech marketing in the sense that the world of startups are always resource constrained, always having to be resourceful, always having to be nimble and swift. Mm. And nonprofits are very similar. You're trying to get a lot done, um, very mission oriented, both yeah. sectors, very mission oriented but you're trying to get a lot done with a little. You're trying to um, garner and rally a group of people around a mission Mm -hmm. and you're trying to have impact. And so all of those things are, I find to be complete parallels in that. What an awesome comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen that just side by side articulated like that, but it completely makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, and I wanted to go into the corporate side. So I went to business school and I came out and did, a little bit of consumer packaged goods marketing and realized that that was not my speed. Um, it was <laughs> actually, not? well, it was actually a funny story. I, you know, we moved to the, um, to the Bay area, to San Francisco, pretty unexpectedly. My husband was a reporter at the time for the wall street. For, well, he was a reporter at the time in Boston and he got his dream job at the wall street journal. And they said, congrats on the job. We thought it was going to be in New York. Congrats on the job. It's in San Francisco. Oh my gosh. We were living in Boston at the time. We didn't know know anyone in San Francisco. We were just kind of like up and move very quickly. And um, most of the jobs you try, I had a job lined up post business school. This was, you know, all transpired like right as I was graduating. So I had to quit the job before I ever started, moved to a city where I knew no one, had to figure out how to get employed, all the things. Um, And in that process, you know, usually most post you know, business school folks are looking for consumer packaged goods jobs in the marketing sphere because that's where you get your training, right? And so I did. I went and got a job at Diamond Foods in a hundred-year-old agriculturally-based business. Um, You know, our corporate office was in San Francisco, but our plant was in Stockton. So I was spending a fair bit of my time driving out to a plant, putting a hard hat on and, you know, um, you know, getting out working with the crew on my product. And I loved that. But it was a slow moving business. And my husband was reporting every day as the first blogger for the Wall Street Journal. So he was reporting on startups and I was going to work every day in a hundred year old business. And I was like, 
I think I'm missing the movie here. I think oh, the, my San Francisco is moving at a different pace than this thing that I'm doing. And I, um, I got recruited to go to flip video and it was where I quote unquote found my people. You know, I was like, Oh so yes, great. this pace of innovation is my jam. Uh, I that love that because it's started. like, you knew what you were, the other job you were doing was not right. So you knew enough to know that this isn't right for me, but you probably didn't have complete clarity into what was the right job for you until you got there. And then it just all took off from there, which is hundred percent amazing. Yes. Um, if you weren't a CMO of a tech company now, what, what would you be doing? Uh, I actually think I am in the right job for my personality and, and who I am, um, the blend of creativity and business and the puzzling mm-hmm. of, of this work. Uh, I can tell you what I wouldn't be doing. I come from a long line of teachers. And my mom always told me when I was young uh, that I would never be a teacher because I'm not patient enough to be a oh, teacher. No. And that is 100% right. She was totally right. <laughs> and it's very true. Um, and well, if God, I could have... God you bless know. our patient teachers. Like, no doubt. I mean, seriously. Yeah. We, I mean, really. We owe so much to them. And <laughs> I am so reverential about the teachers of my children. You know, my three kids and the teachers in our lives are just absolute I, I adore and revere them so much and I also am in awe because I could not do could not for do it yeah oh my gosh I think in this day and age we live so much based on um or we sort of operate based on what our social profiles portray to the world when in fact there's so much more to us tell us one thing about yourself that is not readily evident by looking at your LinkedIn profile well, on the work front, um, first of all, I agree with that completely. I think we put to put a um, face out there to kind of have an external calling card, and um, you know, our individual stories and dynamics are are so much more rich and interesting. Um, on the work front, one thing that I, I don't know that is totally evident about my background, but is such a um, strong through line of my career is that most of my jobs in uh, tech marketing, I've worked for or for founders directly or in founder-led companies. And that is a special, you know, cultural element and dynamic that um, really comes to bear in the work. And you hear folks talk all the time in the marketing sector about, you know, especially in tech marketing, right? How do I educate my organization on what marketing is and what marketing does? And when you're an engineering, you know, leader or product leader, those you don't take for granted that they know, you know, what marketing can deliver. Um, versus in consumer packaged goods, where the entire, you know, group, totally. the CEO, the CFO, everyone is a marketer. There's no um, learning curve at those companies, but on the tech correct. side, it's just massive. Yeah, correct, exactly. So a fair bit of my career has been teaching marketing, you know, teaching internal marketing um, yep. and trying to get evangelizing it, trying to get them to, because it's not only just teaching about what it is, but helping them appreciate it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's on yeah. another level. Delivering value and helping, um, helping people know what we can do to help the product succeed. So, See, so you are a teacher. Yeah. In a- there you go. Oh my gosh, Jenny. <laughs> yes. Look at that. I just learned something about myself. <laughs> You actually, in spite of yourself, you are in a teacher. Spite of myself. Oh man, yes. Wow. But but I would argue it's because there's massive incentive there. So let's talk yes. about that because I mean, listen, marketing um, every day, and that's part of the uh, excitement of it. Is I re- I would argue challenged, sometimes even maligned, and qu- certainly questioned, as is the CMO role in organization. So I'll jump ahead in my question set, but. You know, to your point about you're basically having not only to teach, but evangelize um, its value to the organization. Talk a little bit about that, your perspective on what role marketing should, can and must and does play 
um, these days, but certainly in tech companies and why it matters now. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. We, there, we take for granted, you know, we come up in this discipline and think, oh, I'm, you know, going to be a marketer and a creative leader and I'm just going to show up and, you know, <laughs> it's going to be brilliant and people are just going to say, yes, go do those things. And you find yourself, especially in this sector, really um, having to get back down to the basics of like, what is marketing? How How is it uh, delivering value? And I think the value piece is the thing, Right. Um, can you deliver value in a room? Can you help um, demonstrate how um, you can take a product to market or steward a product that is already in market to help it succeed? And there's just as just as there is on one side of the ledger, plenty of skepticism around whether or not marketing can deliver value. There's also stories of product leaders um, who build things and just think, oh, well, People will come and use yeah. this. And then they realize, no, actually, you have to go and make sure people know about the thing that you built. So I think that marketing is really just an expression of the offering of a company, whether yeah. that is a product or a service. It is just the expression of that offering. And in an ideal world, it's a strong enough department with a strong enough voice internally to um, not only influence how something goes out to the world and the market, but to influence what is built in the first place. That is yep. where huge, you know, we find and and our product marketers do a you know hero's job of bringing consumer insight and consumer voice into those conversations to say, based on what we know about the data and the customer, this is how we think we should build this feature or product. And that's the place of value. I remember a long time ago in my career, I worked for the same leader for seven years, and he was incredibly impactful on my uh, career and my trajectory, Simon Flemingwood. And, uh, you know, I remember at one point having one of those early teaching moments where I was like, man, we just we can't get in these rooms. We can't we can't break through to like being invited to the table, you know, with product. And he just stopped me in my tracks and said, this is not about demanding a seat. This is about adding value so that you will never be left out of a room. Correct. So once you pivot or, you know, to that viewpoint and say, great, I'm here to deliver value. Then and and once I have product leaders saying to me, I am missing the product marketing person in this in this room, or I boy, I wish I had your team in this meeting, I know we're on to something. I know we've done our jobs and we are driving the most value that we can in an org. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like crossing crossing that threshold into um, framing your your framing marketing is indispensable. Yes. Like as if if this wasn't here money would be left on the table. Like there's like legitimate, um, you know, uh, consequences. So, but yeah. that, yeah. And, and your vision or your possibility won't be realized. You know, you, you won't uh, build the right way. You won't offer it the right way. You won't position it and frame it the right way. You won't find the audience you're looking for. So we, we do, I very much believe in the inbound and outbound duality of marketing, especially in tech, the inbound meaning going upstream in an organization, influencing what gets created. And then of course, the outbound side of the go to market and making sure that it's taken to market in a way I mean, that's, that's going to resonate. It's like making it your baby and bringing it all yes. the way forward. <laughs> yes, exactly. Really just having it be um, something that you keep eyes on all across uh, the, the journey. So it's, um, it's, it's a great way to, to present it. Um, now I'm going to pivot for a minute, um, although I'm sorry for the marketing speak and I don't like that word, but sometimes it's useful. Um, 
Soccer is a sport that I played growing up and you can kind of, you can fill in the blank with whatever sport you choose, but there's something about being on a playing field, a literal playing field where, um, you know, you think about the front line, they're the strikers, they're going for goal and they're seeking to make, make the scores. There's the uh, midfielders and they're supporting the strikers, but they're also adding an, an additional layer of defense to the, um, to the defensive people at the back. And then there's obviously the defensive uh, players who are guarding the goal and, and sort of making sure that they don't let in any offensive scores from the opposite, opposite team. Where are you on that field? Um, I'm out front. I'm a striker. I, I think of myself and I say this to my team all the time. Like I'm, I have, or I'm, I'm actually not on the field at all. I'm probably on the sidelines coaching that field. Interesting. Um, that I actually think of, um, I often go to baseball and I did not play softball or, or baseball. Um, I ran track. Uh, so I was, I was not doing traditional team sport dynamics growing up. Um, but I think a lot about baseball in when I talk about my team with my team and to my team around um, what kind of team I want to have. And the reason I do that is because I think there's it's a little bit we were actually talking about this before um, kind of off uh, as we we're doing setup. But I think that the world is a sea of specialists these days in marketing and we're trying to I am trying to build a team that has the best possible person in that one role on the field um, and is specialized in that role and is amazing at that role. I wouldn't want to swap a, you know, a catcher with a, um, you know, a, a pitcher or a first base, you know, player with an outfielder, et cetera. Like I want people who are specialized. And at the same time, if we do not know how to, um, you know, work together as a team, as a unit, then we're missing, you know, the dynamic of, of how we get to greatness. And so in your soccer analogy, it's very similar. Like if those players are not knowing how to pass between one another, um, it doesn't matter if you have strikers or midfielders or defensive, you know, players, like they will only do their individual parts. So I think it is very much a two-part equation, which is, do we have the right specialists and the right talent at the right roles? And have we spent a lot of time figuring out how to pass between one another and to play as a team together. And I think coaches spend an enormous amount of time, rightfully so, on the team dynamics amongst the players because that is that is where the magic happens. I, so I, I think you. of myself as a coach more than anything. Yeah, yeah. You have to build that connective tissue and that collaboration among all those, um, yeah. all those specialists. To that point about collaboration, who are your best collaborators uh, in the C-suite? Let's start there. Um, well, every day, all day, um, around the clock, it's product, you know, so it's product, product, product. Um, I think that the world of the way product development is done in tech um, has really evolved into, you know, and there's always these border conversations around where it stops and where marketing starts. We have a lot of overlap around, you know, product growth and growth marketing and things like that. So we spend a lot of time looking at all the seams of our organizations and making sure that collaboration is really tight. But the alignment, like I was saying before, around what we build and for whom and how we take it to market has to be in lockstep. So product is the most important. Um, and then I would say, you know, very, uh, this goes with, probably goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, which is alignment with our CEO. You know, on our leadership team, I spend a, um, you know, a lot of time also making sure that I'm in lockstep with and aligned with the vision of what our CEO is expecting out of our group and out of our leadership team writ large. Um, 
and I believe very much in the first team concept, meaning my first team is my leader, my peer set leadership team. And I really challenge my leaders on my discipline team, marketing team to be their first team together and rely on one another for decision-making versus having me be a hub and spoke in the middle of them. Yep. Love that. Um, when we talk about, um, this concept of Vanguard, right? The name of this podcast is Marketing Vanguard. And Vanguard literally defined means a group of people leading the way in new developments or ideas. What's an example of a decision, an idea, a new development that you personally have shepherded that has led to direct uh, positive business impact? Yeah. Um, One of the highlights in my career was shepherding through the Round Open Donate program at Lyft. So that concept was actually born out of a product marketer on our team. He came to me, I was in the office late one, uh, one night and he came to me and he said, I have this idea and I, I think I could write a PRD, a product requirements document, um, with a couple of product managers and see if I could pitch it to some engineers to see if we could build it. What do you think of it? And I loved it. And ideas like that, that are new, they're not on the roadmap, they're not resourced, have to, uh, you both have to get energy around them that people will work, you know, kind of odd hours to get them done. And you have to protect them because if you don't protect them and allow them to live, you know, then, then they can get squashed every time there's a prioritization, you know, exercise. So I, not only loved it, and he did such a tremendous job of being really resourceful at trying to figure out how to just scrappily get it made in the company, but we had to do all sorts of stuff. Like we had to figure out how we were going to handle payments between, you know, people wanting to pass money through our organization into nonprofits. We had to figure Mm. out which nonprofits we were going to give to and why, Mm. how many were we going to have? Like there was so many operational elements to bringing that program to life. And it was a labor of love. And it's now one of the hallmarks of Lyft's, you know, kind of brand and ethos and business um, impact. So that was, that was one of my highlights. for sure. Isn't that so cool when you see something and then you go see it live in the world, you know, yes, you were there at the start and then you can see it thrive years later. Absolutely. I just saw them, uh, they published their um, ESG, you know, report not too long ago and it's one of the hallmarks of their report. Uh, so the fact that it's not only alive and well, and that people have bought into it and and um, you know contributed and said yes, I want to participate in this, and it's taken off and it was a beloved product feature, but it's also had tremendous impact on communities. And yeah. you know, going back to my nonprofit roots, I have a lot of heart for community support. Amazing, amazing. So that's an example of a success. Um, now I'm going to switch gears and ask you about a time you either didn't make a decision um, and there were consequences to that, or you made a mistake, or or you flat out failed. The reason I ask this question is I talk to CMOs these days who are like, I, you know, I have heard all about the great things and all the successes that CMOs have had, but I want to hear about the mistakes. I want to hear about the failures. I want to hear about the things that they've learned from, um, because we're all making mistakes. Um, yes. So yes. talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. I'll, I'll share one that is, um, you know, I make mistakes all the time. So, you know, not to say that, that, that that's not part of like a normal weekly, monthly, um, <laughs> situation, but I'll share one that's very, that was visible, um, because I think it's just helpful to see how some of them can be quite large. <laughs> um, we, uh, when I'll use another lift example, 
we had a dream team in that era that I was there and we did a lot of create, you know, we had a huge source of creativity in that company with a lot of cultural permission to do creative work. And so the velocity of our creativity was, was high. And I have a lot to say about like what allows for organizations to be able to produce that much creativity, but a lot of it has to do with cultural permission. And I would say that, um, you know, one program we worked on that I think at its heart still had a lot of goodness in it, but we just executed it in a way that um, I would have had some do-overs on was taco mode. Um, <laughs> and we did this as a partnership actually with Taco Bell, with Marissa Thalberg. If she oh, was on this call, she would, she would remember. I do too, very <laughs> much. And she would remember this, this story. Um, but we did this pilot and they were looking at ways to innovate their brand and ways to innovate the delivery concept. And we were looking at ways to be in the food delivery kind of space and we ideated this thing around, um, you know, you being able to be in a lift ride and go get, you know, Taco Bell. And obviously that is a value prop for consumers that they would love. And we knew that they would love it. Um, a little bit of a harder sell for drivers who are concerned about, you know, a mess in their car or people, you know, detours on their route and kind of all of the ways that that could be really problematic. And we thought we had done a good job at, at managing driver expectations. We thought we had done, you know, all the stakeholder analysis. We thought we had gone through all the links to kind of quell those fears. Mm-hmm. And this was something we pitched and got, you know, it was in the New York Times around, you know, it being a, a something we were rolling out and celebrating. Mm-hmm. And the backlash we got from drivers was mm. unbelievable. Um, and rightly so. We didn't do enough work to help them see how we were going to protect them you know, in this situation. And so I think that was a miss on a couple of fronts. One being really great at seeing around every possible corner, um, you know, and I I have subsequently uh, really taught my teams to rely on a tool like FAQs, you know, just sit down and write, write out everything that could go wrong. Yeah. Think through all the edge cases. Um, And then the other was just not, being as in tune with our stakeholder, both sides of our marketplace and our stakeholders as we needed to be. So those were two big lessons I learned in that. And I have, you know, really, really shored up uh, the thoughtfulness we use, especially in these two-sided marketplaces. And I've had now many roles in marketplace businesses and being able to balance when you take something to market, seeing it from all sides and dimensions is, is no small feat is key. And now you have that muscle memory. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, and so it's, I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of it is now you actually have, I mean, you learned so much and, you know, who's to say that that would never have happened to you, meaning you might have employed a similar concept or strategy at a different brand and not necessarily have had uh, any sort of um, pushback, but that fact that it, it's only bettering the marketing in the end anyway, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and so it, it it feels like you learned a lesson that actually empowers you to do do even more, you know, higher exponential impact in the work that you are doing now. So um, absolutely. Sometimes you just really have to go through those hard, hard moments 100%. to to really, you know, uh, let it all sink in on how you want to do things differently the next it, time. It's got to sting. It does. <laughs> it, it does. Sometimes it you. really does. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it really does have to sting. One of the things, too, that I talk about with folks um, is this concept of inspiration, which I do think CMOs still need that dose of inspiration, um, 
you know, and I, I love getting them out of their, uh, their zones, their swim, swim lanes. So their minds can expand a little bit and go beyond just sort of the day to day that I know that they are so rightly so invested and focused on, but inspiration is just still so key. And, um, you know, look, that data piece is never going to go away. It's only going to get more and more important, but the intuition piece is just as critical. And that comes a lot from the creativity that, and I don't mean creativity just in like, um, you know, ad creative, for example, or, or traditional marketing, it's creativity in, you know, how you talk about your teams It's creativity in your leadership style. It's creativity in, um, in external partnerships or collaborations that you do. I mean, there's just so many ways it can manifest. So where do you go for your inspiration to help yeah. you? Such it's so top of mind for me right now. Um, and I think it's, it's inspiration also in problem solving. I find a lot of, you know, like that's really at the heart of it is how can I apply creative thinking to business problems? And, um, and I I think of that as kind of the intersection I like to play in the, um, thing you said about, you know, yes, of course, data is always going to be here. And yes, of course, it's only going to get more so that way. We're going to focus on the dollars and cents of business. I think it's also the pace you know, keeps mm-hmm. ratcheting up. So yeah. the pace of the busyness of business um, is something I think about. You know, we can't seem to ever catch up with the fact that technology is outpacing, you know, our ability to stay, you know, on top of it. And it's the same thing happening now with AI. Um, and so we just keep going through these kind of seismic uh, shifts in technology that cause the pace of our of our work to really accelerate. So I... The inspiration for me comes in a couple of dimensions. One, that I just have brain space. I need actual brain space to feel as though I can create some room in there to think differently about things. Um, So I I find a lot of inspiration from being in nature, um, from getting outside of technology, from taking, you know, walks in nature that I, in which I'm, you know, taking my AirPods out and actually not engaging in something and trying to let some space, you know, help me feel like I can get a little brain break and brain breather. And then I think moving myself from to a different location, you know, I work from home. We, many of us do, um, in a remote first world, we are on zoom all day long. Um, so I'm trying to also pick myself up and move myself as much as possible. And I don't mean just physically, but like, how do I get outside of my routines? How do I break my routines in some ways? Our family's actually heading out to spring break tomorrow. We're going to Amsterdam for a week. Oh my gosh. And that was a big debate, you know, like, do we want to schlep ourselves all the way across the world for a week? Um, and I was like, yes, yes, we do. (laughs) We need, we need to like have a like absolute kind of juncture of change um regularly and uh and my husband works from home too so we're very very oriented to home life and sometimes you just got to pick yourself up and go find places where you can see things that are wildly different than what you see all the time that help uh help you bring some empathy to like there's there's different ways of doing things in the world and, and creative inspiration but i uh yeah so nature and change of location and scenery and travel um, are ways in which I, I like to apply, um, you know, the things that I pick up in those moments into coming back and saying, oh, yeah, I have a new nugget of an idea. Um, I had a thought. My team's always like, oh, here she goes. She's got a thought. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love that. I love that. Well, never a dull moment for you, it sounds like, which is no. uh, a great quality. Um, we'll be back with more Marketing Vanguard after this quick break. 
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, so Melissa, you know, I, um, I've loved talking to you. I know that you are in a unique industry right now and you talk about, you know, working from home. Can you give me a little bit of sense of, generally speaking, where you see a consumer's mindset around uh, working from home and, and what are the trends that you anticipate as we move forward in ways of working? Yeah, well, we talk a lot here about how, um, you know, I think that rightly or wrongly, I'm not really sure, we all think first about where we work. You know, it seems to be the the nucleus of the conversation around the future of work is the where, the construction of are we in an office? Are we at home? Are we in a hybrid situation? Mm. Um, but we actually think a lot about how we work. So mm. what is the composition of a team? How does a team come together? How do you, yes, there's a dimension of where, but there's also the dimension of who's on it. Which ways are you working? Are, how much of your team is flex versus permanent? Um, so there's lots and lots of dimensions around what we call the, you know, what we talk about around the future of work. I think that secular trends are heading in the direction of um, younger generations saying, I want to do it my way. And in a world where there will always be a war for talent um, because top talent is, you know, always, you know, something that people are seeking. I think that uh, we're not going backwards on this front. Um, I hope more and more companies realize that they just need to solve for a flexible enough arrangement that allows for people to be able to find what works for them. And what allows that to be successful is for companies to focus more on the intentionality of how they work, not necessarily just where. So how are we going to share information? How are we going to collaborate? How are we going to put a lot of um, thoughtfulness around what our focus areas are? How are we going to construct teams that can develop, um, you know, develop that scope of work that we have in mind for the year. And I think it's been easier to build a lot of those things when you can rely on passing people in the halls, putting your values on posters on the wall, um, seeing people in the kitchen, uh, gathering people for an all hands. And I can tell you that I came to work in, at Upwork and um, I will never forget the first time I went to our San Francisco office. And I walked in the door of the office and I just st stopped in my tracks because I was like, this is so weird. The culture of the company is not here. Mm. Yeah. It wasn't there at all. Like it was in the physical space. place. Yeah, yeah. It was an office space. It was just space. a shell. Yeah. It was just a shell. But I was like, no, the culture of the company actually 
is inside of my laptop. It's the people. It's the people I see every day. And it was not bound to any kind of physical space. So I just Mm. having, you know, seen our company be a company that has worked this way for so long, I can tell you for sure that it is not, if we're only, if you're only thinking about the dimension of where it is a limited view of what is possible and how you can rewrite everything. Yeah. So it's not, it's just not location dependent, period. No, it's really not. It's really not. Um, You mentioned AI a minute ago. What are the technologies that get you excited and those that keep you up at night? And maybe they're both. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, AI is kind of a little bit of both, right? I mean, it is pretty amazing to use ChatGPT. We used it to plan our trip to Amsterdam. I mean, ridiculous. But we are like put in, here's our family, here's our kids' ages, here's where we're staying, here's what we like to do, and how to, you know four page long dialogue back and forth to chat GPT to plan a seven day, you know, vacation in Amsterdam. I had so, heard about people doing that. I had never actually spoken with anybody who's actually done that. So that's yeah, incredible. Yeah. So on one hand, the creativity around and the efficiency around, boy, I could scour the internet for hours or I could just have a conversation with chat GPT about this. this is pretty amazing. So on one hand, I find it just mind blowing and also really nerve wracking, you know, how, what are the, you know, kind of edge cases that are going to, you know, be things that we would not have even thought about that are going to be really risky. Um, And there are more and more people calling for that us to really stop and slow down and question that. But I think it's, you know, the cat proverbial cats out of the bag on this one. So I think that it's really a situation where we all have to take stock on how are we going to absorb that technology in our business in a way that's accretive and not destructive, you know, to business value. Yep. That's a whole conversation for another day, which we can explore at some <laughs> yes. point in another in another forum. Um, but really, I mean, I guess the last couple quick questions are, um, you know, what advice would you give to people who are just coming into this career? Uh, you know, we mentioned we were talking earlier about the Adweek Mentorship Exchange, and there's just so much complexity you referenced it, you know, about how people need to be specialists uh, now as they enter the marketing um, workforce. What's your best advice, you know, in terms of navigating and look, you work for, for a company that is helping helping people find jobs and, and mm-hmm. make the right matches and you're helping companies find the right people. From your perspective, what's the best advice? Yeah, two things. One, I think resourcefulness is an undervalued skill. And what I mean by that, every young person who's in their specialized job but has ambitions to move beyond what they do today to something else and do more, um, being resourceful and curious about what's going on in the business that I could help with? How could I get involved in a project that's outside of my scope? How can I take on a stretch assignment? When I have young people on my team who are raising their hands for, hey, I'm curious about something. I want to learn it. I'm showing up with ideas and I want a stretch assignment. Boy, all day, every day, you know, and that is how, that's how I grew in my career. And that's how I encourage people to grow in theirs. There is no such thing as a traditional career ladder in marketing anymore. It doesn't exist. There's no boxes that you're going to sit in to go from one box to the next to get where you're going. So you've got to figure out how to climb the ladder in a way that is not an obvious um, path. And if you look at it from a place of um, pessimism, that's daunting. If you look at it from a place of optimism, it's full of creativity and possibility. So I would say resourcefulness and, and curiosity and, and, you know, take it upon yourself to kind of create that path. And the other thing I'd say, and it's a, it's um, another life lesson that I've really leaned on, which is bravery. Um, it's really easy to do what is obvious and to do what is safe. 
it's a lot easier to play in a safe space. If you can find a culture in your organization, and whether that's you've got the backing of a mentor or a sponsor or just a great boss or cultural permission inside of an organization to be brave, that's where creativity gets unlocked. And so I would lean into being brave and, um, you know, coming with creative problem solving that isn't necessarily the obvious thing and uh, trying to foster that sense of bravery and creativity in, in yourself and in your team and in your organization. Love that. Thank you. Um, That's great advice. Um, The next and last question is who's next, you know, with marketing Vanguard in the spirit of pay it forward and, and starting to shine a light on those, those new faces, those new names, the, you know, the new people who are um, leading marketing, uh, building the marketing practice in really extraordinary ways. Um, Who would be the next CMO or industry leader that you would recommend we interview for marketing Vanguard? Yeah, I love that so much. And these may be folks already on your list. So if they are, you know, um, it's certainly plus one from my side. Uh, I think if you haven't talked to Kofi Amu Gottfried from DoorDash, you know, talk about a really dynamic leader and somebody who's mm-hmm. crossed between agency side and tech and, um, you know, client side and product marketing. He's a tremendous leader. Laura Jones at Instacart, I find her um, design thinking is, a, is her calling card and she is just incredibly capable and, and really somebody I've enjoyed getting to know. Kate Rout, Coinbase. I worked with her a little bit when I was at Meta and um, yeah, she's a specialist at working with founders. And I think that's an incredible story. And then Sharice Torres, who's at Circle. Um, she's also an incredibly dynamic leader and has been across a number of industries and, and just has incredible perspective. So I hope those four are ones that could be useful to you as you build out this program. And I can't wait to listen um, to this more. I love that you've uh, reinvented this and kicked it off. And I, I, I think it's such a service to this community so that we can all learn from one another. So thank you. Well, thank you. And that is a great list that you left me with. And uh, we will be reaching out to all those folks. Um, I can't thank you enough for being here, Melissa. It's been awesome to just to get to know you a little bit better and, and hear your perspective on all these things, truly. And I look forward to seeing you in person very soon. Yes. Um, we'll make it happen. We're going to we'll make, make it happen, happen for sure. Sounds good. Thanks, thank Jenny. You. This has been so much fun. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. 
This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.